today on CityCast Madison. It's the Friday News Roundup, this week with Bianca Martin and Molly Stentz. Planned Parenthood has resumed offering abortions at clinics in Madison and Milwaukee. The Milwaukee Brewers may leave the state if taxpayers don't step up to the plate. And is it time for ranked choice voting in Wisconsin? It's Friday, September 22nd. I'm Dylan Brogan, and here's what Madison's talking about. In the Madison media system, the people are informed by two separate yet equally important groups. Local journalists who investigate the news and the podcasters heard on the Great Friday Roundup. These are their stories. Good morning, Bianca Martin. How are you? Bum, 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 bum. I feel jailed by that rude intro. <laughs> but hey. Man, a lot of hostility towards the intro. Okay, and the sheriff of this here podcast, it's Molly Stentz. Hey, Dylan, good to have you back. Can't we be both local journalists and podcasters? I don't know who suggested otherwise. Your intro, man. Moving on. (laughs) Bianca, you're kicking us off this week. Yes, huge news. Um, After over a year, 15 months, abortions are now offered again in the state of Wisconsin. Planned Parenthood opened up abortion appointments at two locations, one in Madison and one in Milwaukee on Monday. This comes after the recent ruling by Dane County Circuit Judge Diane Schlipper, you know, the one that knocked down the long dormant 1800s law that folks were calling the 1849 abortion ban. Her ruling was like, actually, it is not a ban on medical abortions. And so now Planned Parenthood has opened up abortion appointments and has they've quickly filled within 24 hours, actually. Um, the CEO of Wisconsin's Planned Parenthood said all of their appointment slots were filled. So pretty big news. Did you guys see any of the reactions to this? My husband teaches Madison College across the street from the Planned Parenthood Clinic uh, in Madison, and he said the protesters were back almost immediately. Oh, that didn't take long. No. That definitely happened. There are also people out celebrating, too, people gathering folks to come to the Capitol to celebrate this return. So I guess that's to be expected, for sure. Um, So that's it, right? It's just, this is done. We'll never hear about it again? Yeah, I think so. I think we can clear the slate. (laughs) Really? No, no, no. Our speaker, Robin Voss, was not very happy and attacked Planned Parenthood's decision, more or less saying it's inappropriate to take this move, considering Attorney General Josh Call's lawsuit, one of the big lawsuits that he filed after the Supreme Court SCOTUS overturned Roe v. Wade is still pending. So he said, quote, we're still working our way through the legislative and the process inside the courts. He said this to reporters. So it's very presumptive to take this move, basically. And it's one of the things that worries me about the independence of our judiciary. That's Robin Voss. You know what Robin Voss could do? He could uh, introduce a law and pass it. Yeah. He could. With the governor. There you go. They don't They don't have a veto-proof majority. But that's how the process works. I mean... I just think it's interesting, the timing of it, because really what changed is just the changing of the Supreme Court, 
really. I mean, I remember we we spoke to Planned Parenthood when this was going down and also when there was concern about whether medical abortions, whether mifepristone was going to be available or not. And they were making the argument that they didn't believe that that 1849 law was in effect. They were saying that, but their actions were showing otherwise. Their actions were being very risk averse. Now it's like, oh, okay, well, we have the safety of the court, so I guess we can continue to offer medical services again. It's just, it feels very political. Yeah, the fights continue. I feel like we should note over the past 15 months, the lack of access to abortion care in Wisconsin has sent tons of women traveling to nearby states, like particularly Illinois. Um, So abortions were still happening just at higher costs um, and potential risk to mothers or to, you know, people with a pregnancy. It made them more expensive. It made them more inconvenient, you know, harder to get. That was, I think, the whole goal. But as as you correctly mentioned, it didn't stop them. It just introduced roadblocks to Wisconsinites. Something I'm thinking about, I just like, it was really interesting. The old law on the books, the 1849 abortion ban, that's not really an abortion ban, that it was really more about... Um, It wasn't about medical procedures or someone willingly requesting to have an abortion, but rather it was a protection for the woman um, for someone killing their fetus. Feticide. Yeah. I remember having to look that up. Like, okay, what what actually is the legal difference and definition between abortion and feticide? And to the best of my understanding, it and the way many states define it, it's that feticide happens when the fetus is killed by someone other than the mother. You could think of, you know, violence against women, you know, a woman getting attacked or something happening to her that causes her to lose her baby. Outside of a a medical context. Yeah. Yeah. So this is huge. I mean, it's, it's happened and the appointments are filling up. So obviously, folks... We're seeking that care. So we'll see what happens there with that story. Thank you, Bianca, for getting us up to speed on that one. Before we dive into any more news, though, let's take a quick break. How about them brewers? Something you never thought you would hear me say. Let's talk baseball. Okay, so we're going to talk baseball, but not really. Okay, we're going to talk about the business of baseball because lawmakers have a new plan. Assembly Republicans have a bill to publicly finance renovations to the Brewers Stadium in Milwaukee, right? The stadium formerly known as Miller Park, now called American Family Field. But for our purposes, I'm going to call the Brewers Stadium. So this is... A third name. (laughs) They're estimating it's going to cost around $700 million to spruce it up. And basically under this plan that's now circulating at the Capitol, $400 million would come from the state. That's largely coming from income taxes that the, uh, the brewers, players, among others, would be, would be kicking down for. But that would be state, state money. $200 million is going to come from Milwaukee residents and taxpayers, so the city and the county of Milwaukee, pretty much exclusively, which was different from the past. We'll get into that. And then $100 million is going to come from the brewers themselves, from the team. And that's over like 20 years. Yeah. So the idea is that it would lock in the brewers 
to 2050. The reason this is all coming up now is that their lease expires in 2030. So they're they're looking at their options and there there's been uh there's been talk of them leaving. That's been floated, it's been rumored. We know other teams have done it. We know that they use it as leverage to try to get what they want, which is money money money. Do we know what the renovations are? Yeah. So there there were reports commissioned and they said that the stadium's glass outfield doors, the seats and the concourses should be replaced. Also, the luxury suites need an upgrade. All right. Who wants to buy for that? Solid gold field. <laughs> Lordy. The video scoreboard needs an upgrade. The retractable roof needs repairs. Apparently, like elevators and escalators and fire systems. Apparently, a whole host of things. Apparently, stadiums every 30 years need upgrades is what people say. That's what people tell me. Is like winterizing the roof. Is that part of it? That's what that's something that Speaker Ross has been saying. Republicans have been saying is like, hey, we could also maybe put in place a better roof so that actually you could do more things in the winter. You could have concerts, you know, maybe basketball, other things could happen. Interesting. Yeah, but winterize the roof by actually sealing it all up. It just makes me think, are baseball fans weaker than football fans? Because, you know, Lambeau, they don't have any trouble sitting out in the cold. Football fans at Lambeau, think about it. There's a lot more games, though, Molly. I've got a lot of thoughts on football <laughs> and what we need to do about football, but <laughs> it does. This is this conversation's reminding me a little bit about just thinking about our field here, our Madison, our soccer field, and the the call, the calls for you know improving it and getting it up to speed to like standard across the league. Um, sounds some, somewhat similar, but <laughs> this is a much more expensive. I assume would be much more expensive, much larger. Yeah, same idea. I mean, right? And that's. It's kind of one of those things that, you know, once the idea is out there, then it's like, oh, hey, everybody's doing it. Guess we got to. So um, the, what politicians are saying is that, you know, hey, this team's worth a lot of money. They generate a lot of sales tax, a lot of income tax. The state benefits from that. Um, the exact economic impact of the team. I mean, that's really hard to put a number on. People have tried. That's debated. The actual stadium is owned and run by the government, unit of government called the Southeast Wisconsin Professional Baseball Park District. Did you know that? So it is ours. And the governor gets a say on who who's on it. So emotional blackmail is what it is. And I don't understand why more people are not mad at these sports teams. Because it's like, oh, our beloved brewers. And they're just like, we'll leave you if you don't build us this. That's why I'm against that. I want to be careful about that new soccer team in Madison. Because what if we grow to love them and then they blackmail us? Unlike... The Packers, as we know, uh, the Brewers are privately owned by a millionaire, unlike all of us. And unlike the Bucks Stadium, which we know was also publicly financed, their owners kicked down pretty much half the tab there. And the Brewers owners are going to put in $100 million out of a $700 million deal. And if there's one thing we know about real estate and construction costs is they never come in under budget, right? So if that's the real number, we'll see. But that's a it's a small portion coming from the owners who actually stand to make a substantial amount of money off of the team, off of their investment. So 
You know, one op-ed that I read this week that's kind of interesting floated by a professor in Milwaukee. He was like, taxpayers should organize locally to demand equity stakes in exchange for their investment. Get your piece of the pie, friends. We all know sports fans love equity stakes. Hello, the Packers are the most popular team in the state. I said it. Yeah, the Brewers will never go for that, but yeah, that's a good idea. So... This is the debate. Assembly Republicans are for it. Speaker Voss is for it. One thing that's interesting, unlike the last time when they had that whole tax that that was a tax on all of the counties around Milwaukee to help pay for upgrades to the to the stadium. This time it's it's pretty much being taken out on Milwaukee, um, which is a really big change. I mean, also interesting to note that you know, the politicians that voted for this largely don't come from Milwaukee, right? <laughs> what the heck? And a lot of very, very rich counties or rich areas outside of Milwaukee. And we know that that tax was extraordinarily unpopular, even though it was small. It was the point of the matter for a lot of people. They didn't like it. Um, you know, freaking recalled a politician. It was noted that had that tax still been around, it would have actually probably paid for these renovations. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but it was so politically unpopular that they repealed it. And now the new idea is like, ah, let's just have Milwaukee pay for more of it. Milwaukee, which is, as we know, facing budget deficits. The schools need money. They're going to have to approve it, though, too, along with the state. And they so far are not going for it. I mean, Mayor Cavalier Johnson is not going for it. The county boards voted unanimously that they don't want to put any money for it toward it. But going to be another state versus local control issue on this one. Milwaukee Brewers, first in their division. Before we go, though, let's talk about something that could be big in Wisconsin elections, an experiment, if you will, that hasn't been widely adopted, but wonky people seem to like it, and that's rank choice voting. So a bill this week was introduced by two Democrats and two Republicans to bring uh, ranked choice voting to congressional and U.S. Senate races. So this is a different way to do elections, perhaps more representative. Have you guys heard of this? It's a little bit confusing. Yes. I'm excited to hear you tell it. So there would be no more partisan primaries, which is what we have now. And those have kind of become a little bit meaningless when we have such safe congressional seats. So there'd be no more partisan primaries, just one primary. And so every candidate will run in one primary, no matter what party they're in. And then the top five vote getters will advance to the general election. So that means you might have two Democrats or two Republicans, one Green, one Independent. For the sake of this example, we're going to use the cast of Seinfeld. Okay, so all the cast of Seinfeld is running for U.S. Senate. You got Jerry, Elaine, Kramer, George Newman and, and Jackie Childs. They run in the primary. There are six of them. Well, Jerry's the worst character. He doesn't make it through. So in the general is Elaine, Kramer, George Newman, and Jackie Childs, right? So then when voters go to vote in the general election, they will pick their top candidate and then rank the rest. So maybe you have Kramer as your first pick, and Elaine as your second pick, and Jackie Childs as your third pick. Under this system, ranked choice voting, if Kramer gets over 50% of the vote, he wins. But if he doesn't, what happens is the lower, the lowest vote getter is eliminated, and anyone who had that person as their first choice, their vote now goes to their second-ranked candidate, and it keeps going until you're down 
to two candidates who have and, and whoever gets a majority of the votes. Sounds fun. I love that. Did you hear that Radio Lab episode? Yes. I feel like that was the best explanation yes. I've ever heard of ranked choice voting. Yeah. Oh, get out of here. They had a year to do that. No, but you no, but you just did an excellent explanation, Dylan. No, it, it was okay. But yes, did hear the Radio Lab one, life changer. <laughs> so what are the pros? It could make elections less negative. That seems to be a big, because uh, Kramer can't go all scorched earth on Elaine because he might need those Elaine voters to pull him over the top at the end. It also ensures like an actual, uh, the person who wins actually gets a majority. We've had a bunch of elections where the candidate wins doesn't get 50%. And then incumbents like really typically don't like this. So I think that I'm putting that in the pro camp. Me too. But cons. Will it actually make elections better? The evidence is slightly spotty on, on what the effect is. Uh, Alaska and Maine have implemented this, and it's in some municipalities like in San Francisco and in Minnesota or Minneapolis. Does it actually make elections better? Hard to say. We'd have to get voters up to speed about ranking. That's something new. And I'm sure municipal clerks would kind of hate this because it's more complicated. But the ranker... The ranker of our current system is getting quite smelly, pretty over it, pretty over all this hate, all of this unnecessary scorched earth. Well, we'll see how much ranker there is over ranked choice voting. This bill was introduced two years ago, and it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. What are its chances? I mean... Oh, nothing. Probably zero. But hey, two Republicans, two Democrats introduced it. I think this is something we should consider, maybe not for congressional and U.S. Senate races, but maybe for assembly races or or state Senate races or even in city government. I love it. All right. You guys hear about that pig? Did I? If you have heard about Rudy the pig, our West Side resident who has become legalized, we were able to speak with his owner. Stay tuned for that on Monday. Check your podcast feed. She she had a really thoughtful take on this whole experience of what it's like to... I kind of compare it to maybe like going viral for a minute, right? It's like yeah. this woman was living her life with her pet and all of a sudden became the center of news and attention for a hot second over a pet, right? Which is not something any of us really plan on having take over our lives. She just had some interesting reflections and, and things she wants you to know about about having a pig in Madison might surprise you. She got a city law change somehow, at least the pig did. And during the interview, we also spotted an alligator. So that's probably the next fight, right? (laughs) No. Okay. Well, that's something I look forward to. Bianca Martin, thanks for joining us today. Of course. Molly Stentz, always a pleasure. Bye. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. Bianca Martin is your host. This week, the podcast is produced by AKL Moment, Noah Snyderman, Molly Stentz, and me, Dylan Brogan. Our theme music is by Carl Christensen. You can also get more news delivered right to your inbox by subscribing to Madison Minutes, written this week by Haley Sperling and Adrian Gonzalez. And if you enjoyed today's show, why not share this episode with your best friend, And if that doesn't work, your second best friend. And if that doesn't work, your third best friend. Rank your friends. See you back here Monday morning with more news from around the city. Until then.